0: what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Footcandle Films. Film news and reviews from two
1: guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Footcandle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson with me, Chris Fry, and we both are with the Foot Candle Film Society and directors of the annual Foot Candle Film Festival here with Foot Candle Films. Can I say the word Foot Candle any (laughs) more times, Chris?
2: I mean, I think you probably could. Um, We could just actually do the entire podcast Varying different intonations of foot candle. Yes. Don't know how enjoyable that would be.
1: Well, that actually what happens when people try to refer to our organization, that's true. Uh, we get many variations on the word foot candle. This I've is had, true. Uh, candle feet. I've had candle foot. I've had foot hills, which is close because we are in geographical. And then there's the, the
2: plural, foot, foot candles.
1: The candles. Yep. yep. There's a lot of variations on true. it. We're used to that. And uh, maybe one day we'll need to go into a little bit of our background and history of you coming up with the word foot candle for the name of our organization. But that'll be a story for another day. We've got much, much more important stories to get into today, which is our review and discussion of films. Uh, We do have a review in this episode of the latest DC Universe. Is that the term they're using now? DCU? I
2: I think DCU and then MCU. I mean, I I guess that's nice and simple. Yeah.
1: Uh, The DCU film, The Flash. Uh, we'll be discussing that, giving a nice review of that film, and then afterwards, we've got some movie news to share, a couple of uh, interesting production notes on some directors that we follow, some projects that are being announced, even some shifting of projects that, Chris, I want to get your uh, impressions on, some some uh, announcements that were just made on some film release dates and what that's going to do for uh, the broader schedule. And along the way in that notes, I saw some interesting projects Got announced that i was not aware of so i'm anxious to hear your thoughts on that as well okay but first off we do have our review for the episode uh, as we've kind of gone in the show format just the one main review per episode that we're going to do this one is uh, this week's release uh it is the dcu film by director annie machete it is the flash
0: i lost my parents That pain made me who I am. I spent a lifetime trying to right the wrongs of the past, as if fighting crime would bring my parents back. You actually did it.
2: A couple of months ago, James Gunn, at the time the newly installed DC studio head, I think was quoted as saying director Andy Machetti's The Flash was one of the best superhero movies he'd ever seen. This And James Gunn being the guy who directed Guardians of the Galaxy, which a lot of people think those are some of the best superhero movies ever made. But he made that quote. Um, the film now being released, Alan and I have both seen it. It dabbles in a little bit of origin story lore, which when I think of good origin story movies, I look towards like Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins and does some multiverse theory done really well in the previously reviewed on this podcast Spider-Man Across the Universe. This places a challenge on the film, at least in my opinion, to use these tropes in a new and interesting way. This story was seen by me previously in the Flash TV show that was on the WB or whatever. Um and then also in an animated feature film that came out like in 2013 called Justice League, The Flashpoint Paradox. So considering how similar storylines with The Flash, which this character have been told before, how did The Flash work for you as being a longtime comic fan that you are, likely pretty aware of this storyline about how he can run really fast backwards or whatever and travel in time? How did this work for you, Alan?
1: Um, it's a complicated answer, Chris. Okay. So let me let me back up. I want to I want to tell a little personal story, if I can, kind sure. of setting up the stage for where I am with this film. So back in college, I. I uh, Are you running backwards to get us? Back I am. To, I am. Okay. I ran. I'm running backwards at super speed. Awesome. So where I'm now back in college. Okay. This is like uh, we're there with you. Longer. Okay. And I. Are you wearing
2: a really tight costume when you do this?
1: <laughs> yes, I, okay. I am. Awesome. As always, as I always do. Okay. And, uh, I worked on a, uh, a TV show, a little local campus TV show where I did some writing and, and shooting of some skits, like comedy sketches okay. know, for like a, a comedy show. Sure. A lot of fun, but I learned an important lesson in, in working on one of those. I had an idea for a, a sketch. I had an idea for a comedy bit. Okay. That I was really excited about. So I basically kind of wrote down the story for this sketch. Okay. It's called the story, meaning I'm not writing the dialogue lines. I'm not writing the exact screen directions. I'm just saying this is the general concept, the story I've got. Gotcha. I really loved my story. Okay. Then uh, somebody else I was working with said, oh, good. I'm going to take this and I'm going to write it. I'm going to write a screenplay for it. So they wrote the words and the dialogue and the things that were going to happen on the screen. And I remember reading that screenplay after it came back to me. I'm like, huh. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's different then what might be my story. Maybe it's not quite the tone or the style that I had in time of mind for my story, but I, I get where you're going with this. I'm screenplay. Okay, fine. Let's go with that. Then it got handed off to somebody who was going to direct it. So they were actually going to take a camera and shoot this thing and, you know, and direct the actors to do it. By the time I saw the finished piece, I kind of didn't recognize it. Like hmm. I wrote the story, but yet this final, the choices the director made or the screenplay made around the, along the way, it kind of baffled me. Kind of made me wonder what I, I don't. I see little vestiges of my story in there, but I don't see it in the finished product. Okay, so that's just a go show. That happens on a much much broader scale. A lot of times with with films, you have a story, which is somebody has a great idea for a film. They know the kind of the beats of the film. They know the tone and the. The, the, what they're trying to convey with the, with the story, they write that all out. Then you've got the screenplay, which is the dialogue and, the, hey, this scene's going to cut to this scene and then this is going to happen and this person's going to say this dialogue and, and to flesh it out. Then you've got the director who says, okay, cool, now i got to like, make this work on screen and they direct it and make it, make it work. Gotcha. All that to say, I think The Flash is a movie with a very, very good story. With a mediocre screenplay. And some really weird and sometimes poor directorial decisions. Okay. So that's where I'm kind of coming from with this. So to answer your question, I think the story that's here at play, the core story of The Flash, the you know, it is a kind of a, an interesting riff on the origin story and that it's not really truly his origin. It's a replaying of his origin. Sure. And, and I like the framework of all that. I like mm-hmm. the story that they're trying to tell. I like the fact that, you know, it's the age old concept of, you know, if you try to go back, if you believe in the theory of time travel, if you go back to try to fix something that the implications could be vast. And we we see that played out in the film. And that leads us to the bigger spectacle part of the film. The reason why all these other heroes now have to get involved and there's a huge existential universe threatening threat going on all because of actions made. By Barry in the situation, so I love that whole concept of the story. I feel like from a the way the story is played out from the dialogue and writing and, and the screenplay, it's it, it, it falls right into the typical comic book movie tropes, uh, for better or for worse. I mean, you got the pithy dialogue, you got the the the, the, the attempts at humor all the way throughout. Um, you got the big action scenes. I mean, it's a pretty. It doesn't stray too far from those boundaries, you know. Away, sure. But I just, man, I've got some questions about choices made on the directing and the visual side of this film because I think visually it's a very messy, bad film. Okay. Although storytelling wise, I think it's a really, really good story. So that's where I am with it. Okay. That's why I say I'm kind of a two minds. I could pick apart the the way this film looks and the visual story storytelling that they tried to do all day long. Cause I think there's a lot of problems with it, Okay, but I can't fault the story itself. Cause ultimately I think you leave the theater, you're thinking more about the overall story and that's what kind of sticks with you. So good story, bad execution. Um, and I can get into details on what that means by that, but I'm, I'm curious. I, I rambled a while for now here. No, I, I want to hear from I w- you. I, your hear, thoughts.
2: I want to hear your all the points that you have. I mean, we're only, doing have oh, got one, a bunch. Only, I know. And I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. We're only doing one movie now. So that allows mm-hmm. us to kind of dig a little deeper into the films that we do choose oh, to yeah. review per episode. So I've I wonder, got an
1: equal list of good and bad.
2: Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you asked me just for my you know, yeah, yeah. overall take and then we'll dig in deeper, which I definitely want to hit your points. Um, so like I kind of said in my setup, I gave an idea of like, yeah, I kind of know the whole time travel thing that he can do by running backwards. I know that, his mom was killed. His dad was blank. Like all this stuff that you learn in the very beginning of the movie if you didn't know it beforehand. So don't worry if you're listening to this and be like, oh, I shouldn't see this. I have no idea what Chris is talking about. It It's laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the hand-holding that they do to kind of explain that is some of the better hand-holding with time travel and stuff that I think has ever been done. I agree um, with you. There's a, se- mm-hmm. there's a sequence and it the simplicity of it. Here again, I I don't know where to... I don't, I I get what you're saying about some of the, I feel like the screenplay has really moments of genius and maybe there is some weakness there too, but the things that struck me are like the time travel thing. I won't go into a lot of explanation, but I'll say there's a scene with spaghetti and the simplicity of that. And it's kind of, you know, a little bit of humor there too, but explaining kind of basically laying out what's happening with the movie I thought was really genius. And that maybe helped me forgive some other things. Um, we'll go through your list. I will say overall, I enjoyed the film. I was entertained a lot more than I thought I would be mm-hmm. because I had seen so many, like not this exact film, but I'd seen so many versions of this. I was like, yeah, yeah this is probably going to be boring for me. And knowing that it was almost two and a half hours long, I'm like, yeah, I've seen this done in basically maybe an hour and a half for the TV version, you know, like over mm-hmm. different episodes. So I'm like, I just don't know how they're going to keep me engaged. They did. I think because of how they were able to change some of the plot points. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, um, one of the bigger surprises to me just because I was surprised at how bad it looked was what I will refer, refer to as the speed force toilet bowl. <laughs> oh, God. And I was, I mean, if, if we were, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, then I probably wouldn't think anything of it.
1: Unexcusable.
2: (laughs) Well, it is hard because it's such a wackadoodle concept to communicate, but, but, but I I was surprised at kind of how bad that was.
1: It's shockingly bad. Okay. Okay. Let me just go ahead and get into this. Yeah, sure. Because that's number one on my list.
2: Okay. Did you call it the Speed Force Toilet Bowl?
1: I didn't. That's a really good name, though. I gonna write that down. It's
2: like swirling. Yeah,
1: I had it as the time travel coliseum. Oh, that's well, all. The, I, okay. That's all I could come up with. I think so. that's how they would prefer That's you. how they wanted you to <laughs> right. see it, right. right. Um, well, let's just say this. There's a there's a sequence at the beginning of this film, an action sequence. Right away, the lead up to this action sequence, the setup, I, 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 and this is in the first five minutes of the movie, so I guess I can kind of sure. talk a little detail about it. You know, uh, Barry Allen, the flash gets the call from Alfred, which I think is kind of a cool setup for it. It's like, oh, okay. So they really are like kind of a network of team. And anyway, if there's a problem. Hey, who's available. Okay. I'm going to call this guy. I love that. I'm like, yes. Okay, great. It's a perfect way where you don't have to have seen all the other films to really understand it. It's like, oh, I just, I get it. Alfred's calling me. There's a problem. There's a, a hospital about to blow up. Um, yeah, Batman's doing this, Superman's unavailable, whatever. So Flash, can you go handle it? I'm like, cool, I the, love this.
2: The willingness to, and I, there again, I got to give credit. I mean, you will get to the, but the handholding they do yeah. for people who maybe, like if I were to take my mom yes. to this film, she has seen very few. I don't know that she's seen any right, superhero yeah. movies. Um, But if I were to take her to this, you know, you. she washed enough of my underoos growing up, you are yeah. like they're different superheroes. So she'd be like, oh, okay, I get right. it. But yet, done in an entertaining way yeah. for fans that they're not annoyed, yes. like, oh,
1: here we go. So that's so, great. Okay. <laughs> and then it even gets better in that it gets ready to display the title screen of the film and it gets interrupted in a very funny way by somebody, an, an onlooker who's wanting to talk to Flash. I'm like, and then they redo it again. I'm like, oh, I'm so on board with this film. I'm loving this. Then we get to the babies. There's a sequence that involves babies. Yeah. It's an action sequence. And it combines some of the worst CGI I think I've ever seen.
2: I mean, but you had seen this you hadn't seen the Speed Force Toilet.
1: Bowl I yet. hadn't seen the Speed Force <laughs> Toilet bowl at that point yet. So I'm saying, as of that point, right. the last like eight to ten years of, of movie going, this is like some of the worst animation I've ever seen. Okay. To the point I'm actually kind of shocked. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like this is your opening sequence. I've, and This is the choices you made. I mean, a you made you decided to make this to be the action scene, and I'm like, and then you throw this animation on it that looks so bad. I'm I, like, I, I don't. Get I it. hear.
2: I hear what you're I'm saying. I'm
1: checked out of. The, I'm almost checked out of the movie at this point. I hear like what 10 you're saying,
2: in. but I like. I had the complete opposite reaction. I would have, if you would have told me I was going to be seemingly now we, you know, mm-hmm. a defender of this film as much as I am right now, I would have <laughs> okay. told you you're nuts. Mm. That worked so well for me. And let mm. me tell you why.
1: Because it was obvious it wasn't real babies. <laughs> the babies weren't in danger.
2: Because at the queue there again, we're not ruining this people. This is in the very mm. er, opening minutes of the meeting. Ten minutes so of the yeah, film, you're, yeah. you're fine. Don't like get mad at us. <laughs> um, Because when they set that up, you see a, um, that you know, it's a hospital. What do you call, I guess the maternity ward, you see all these babies laid out, you see the windows kind of like, okay, not cool because they're going to play. I thought they were going to play it for kind of, um, gritty superhero drama where like we are actually going to be afraid, you know, and that's gruesome. We're talking maybe a dozen babies falling to the falling
1: out of the sky.
2: Okay. Not, not cool, dude. (laughs) And then, but, but, and so that's what I, you know, not not, not cool. And then immediately they're like, no, don't, don't worry. This is not that type of film. We're not Batman begins. We're not the Batman. We're not Joker. We're not gritty. We're not, we're not doing that. So don't worry. And that sequence. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, (sighs) And I will say, okay. And I'm never one to usually comment on this type of stuff. And no, I didn't st- stick around for the in credit sequence. I, I, I'm think I'm forming a new thing where unless my son's with me, he would like nail me to the seat and not let me leave. I refuse to stick around for any in credit sequences. Ooh. I'm just not gonna, I'm not just gonna try
1: making a stand. No, because
2: it's just like, I feel like if you want to include it in the movie, include it in the movie. Don't just like tacky. I, I, oh,
1: you're saying the credits are not part of the movie.
2: no, I'm saying don't bait me with an end credit sequence. Like I will watch the credits and then get up and walk out when the end credit sequence starts. Because I think like, if you want it to be part of the movie, make it part of the movie. Okay. We'll okay. get off my soapbox. Okay. However, um, <laughs> I will say, I think they should have used the end credits music where they kind of do a callback to that sequence Of the babies falling out of the wood, they use an OK Go song, Mm -hmm. which, if you know the band OK Go, their whole thing is planning these elaborate sequences. Um, I forget what you call them, Um, right? But they everything has to click in a certain way to make something happen. I wish I could remember the the term for it. There's a term for it. it. it.
1: It'll it'll Not a
2: MacGuffin device, but something like that. But anyways, if you've seen their videos, they're the treadmill guys. You know what I'm talking about. Everything's perfectly timed. You have to make everything perfect. So in that baby sequence, everything, the things that he does all have to somehow jive so that he can save all these babies. Rube Goldberg machines. Thank you. Rube Goldberg machines. That's the kind of videos they make. How they set that baby scene up, it's ridiculous. It's completely absurd. It's dumb. But it made me laugh, and it was clever. The only thing that would have made it better was if they'd used that OK Go song because it's just like taking it up another level, saying, yeah, we're aware that this is ridiculous. So that totally worked for me. And because it was absurd, it was kind of playing off the fact that, yeah, the CGI is just – it's like a Warner Brothers cartoon. And that was fine. And this is a Warner Brothers movie. That was fine for me.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. I never would have thought I'd be defending this. I I disagree. I I, (laughs) I felt like it was, I felt like it, it did not know what it wanted to do at that scene. It's like half Mm -hmm. of it wanted to be superhero, traditional superhero movie. And even the music was kind of this more superhero, triumphant, rah, rah. Agreed. Yes. If they put in a pop song that (laughs) kind of made sense with it, you kind of would have gotten a lighter tone from it. Sure. But it's right away when you see the poor CGI being done, you have no belief in it. I mean, the flash himself is all CGI doing this thing. It's just, and I thought, he, I thought they made the flash look kind of ridiculous. Anytime he was in CGI mode doing running and all that, just, it huh. just, okay. just didn't work. So I, right away, the movie I'm about checked out in the first 10 minutes. Wow. And that was bothersome to me. Okay. Um, and unfortunately I just felt like the, the odd visual and execution choices just kind of continued from there. Should I hit my bad points first to get them out of the way and then go good? Or what we do you like think?
2: To, we kind of like to end on positive. Let's See, end on yeah, positive. Yeah, okay. Let me hit all the bad
1: stuff and just get that all sure. just out of my system. Okay. Um, I mentioned the flash running. I, even my son's like, yeah, he looks stupid when he runs. <laughs> it's, and I know there's been theories about why they have him running the way he does with his arms and all that, but there is a balance you can strike somewhere where you can just make it look, better than you know than what we've got in in, in this and again that's a visual choice that was made for the film okay
2: brief not defensive when he's actually running running but when he's about to start running i will say now whether this was a choice of the director or one of the writers or ezra miller's choice and i thought it was dumb at first but then i was i because ezra miller continued to do it as barry allen and flash i was like okay i you you took a choice and you stuck by it the way when he's right before he's about to start he takes like an official runner's stance and then he takes off i was like okay i'd never thought about that he didn't just start running it's like he's at a start line Mm -hmm. and and i thought that was at first i I like the starting i I thought it was goofy but then i was like you know i like the starting i like the pose
1: and the starting it's just once he actually gets running sure it's just a bizarre look (laughs) and weird and yeah, you, know, you can tell me physics all you want that that's the way he would need to run to be running at that speed. I don't care. You can make it look better <laughs> than what it does. Okay. Um, even even some shots and like visually showing the flash, like close-ups of his face. I don't know if it's just it's just weird angles they're using, but the face always looks very distorted. Almost mm. like it's got a little bit of a fishbowl look to it. It was just, it's just odd choices. It's just things that after the baby's falling, I'm kind of now picking out these odd things <laughs> happening throughout okay. the film. Um, I just mentioned vomit. So there's a scene where there's one character vomits quite a lot. Um, okay. It's about halfway through the film, okay. which may not stand out to anybody much. But if you recall, this this director, Andy Machete, also did the It yes. movies. Yes, yes. The first chapter one, it, I thought was okay. Chapter two, I thought was pretty bad.
2: I think you and I are on the same page oh, with yeah. that.
1: Chapter two, I am afraid it let this director kind of go loose with his tendencies mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I saw a lot of them in this film as too as well. If you recall in it chapter two, there was a scene, a just a bizarre scene where one character just vomits, like, consist- or a creature vomits all over a character of, like, kind of no reason for like a really long period of time. And then okay. they have a needle drop of juice. Newton's angel in the morning. Yes. For no reason. It's whatsoever. in a basement. Am yeah.
2: I right? Yeah. yeah. For no
1: okay. reason. And I still think about that scene. I'm like, what, what was that? Like why that song? Why did that need to happen? Why this constant stream of vomit that made no sense to the story had nothing to impact at all. Let me help you hmm?
2: never think of angel in the morning with that scene. Think of it with, um, Promising. Oh, I, I
1: do. Absolutely. Anytime I do <laughs> hear that I song that and out. it has happened a few times, okay. I have to tell my brain, no, 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 no. Don't think <laughs> about that movie. Think about this movie, much better use of it. Okay. Um, but here in this movie, there's a scene where a character has like this prolific vomiting sequence. And I think there was even a needle drop of some music or song that was kind of a bizarre choice at the time. I'm like, huh? Okay. So this is, this is that director. This is kind of this some things Hallmark. he does. This is, it's, it's unique, weird needle drop songs at times, kind of these odd visual choices of ways he wants to depict characters. Hmm. Um, it was just, it was, it was some odd choices. I'm going to say, I even thought, I, I thought the, the the music choices, half of them were really, I mean, it, it helps because I did like the songs themselves that they were playing. So sure. I'm a fan of, you know, three of the main songs that they kind of needle dropped in the film, but hmm. Timing and use of them was also kind of uh, suspect and, and weird as well. Um, okay, I'm continuing on the bad. I'll, I'll keep, keep, I'll finish these up. Okay. Promise I won't take no, too no, long. No, 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 no. Uh, you have your typical superhero comic book conveniences. I always say, like in movies, that happened. That's a screenplay issue. That is where it's like, hey, we need to get from this is part of the story to this part. Also, a genre issue, though. A little bit, okay. but I think it's an action movie. I think action advent Any of these action adventure movies, that's kind of what they have to do. We need to get to the next set piece. Yeah. We need to somehow get there. How can we make it get there quickly and not bore the audience? Gotcha. Oh, we Flash is trying to get his powers. Uh, back somehow and oh you know who would help with this i think supergirl would probably help oh look she's just flying right outside the door and she's ready to go and she's ready to help
2: i like that
1: even though she had no idea what in the world they were doing or why somehow she just knew oh i'm going to show up here and oh if i go fly him up here he gets this i thought he's supposed to have chemicals thrown on him whenever he gets his powers but he's up in the sky gets lightning and he's fine so it's like again it's conveniences it was all about we need this to happen. So let's do this and let's do it quickly and efficiently and not worry about whether it makes sense or need time to do it. Okay.
2: The chemical thing from the uh, fanboy nerd perspective of his origin story, I can get that. Um, However, from a story standpoint, and maybe it's the difference between story and script, like, you know, how to, how to get there. You have the story outline like you did for your short that you did for Mm -hmm. your television show. And then you have the script that came out. I like how they integrate. It's not, she's in the trailer, so we're not ruining oh, no. anything. Yeah. I like how they integrate Supergirl. I like how they, I like her a lot, get her in the group. I like, I like, I like everything about it. And I appreciated it too, because that scene, she kind of has this realization of, you know, she kind of has a realization of, okay, I'm going to help this part. And like, I like how they brought her back in. I think with, if she hadn't have been that key to do that, I think that would have left out an important part of her, kind of journey. To right, say. That's
1: fine. Just all you need is one line of dialogue. She shows up. She's like, Hey guys, what are y'all doing? It's like, Oh, well we're <laughs> trying to give flashback his powers and he needs to be struck by lightning to do it. She's like, Oh, okay, well cool. I can help with that. But instead, no, it's like, she's just floating <laughs> outside, comes, swoops in, picks them up, takes them up. I'm like, all right, do you even know what you're supposed to be doing? Do you even she, know what's going on? She up?
2: can't help it. Yeah. She's a superhero. And yeah. I think she's, I like, which I was not expecting. Um cuz I'm not familiar with the Supergirl lore a lot of it. Not um either. so her kind of being this cranky, almost kind of emo person mm-hmm. and kind of like to me you would be like, you know, oh I hate you. I don't I think you're all dumb, but I'm going to lurk outside the um Gotham Manor and kind of just spy on you guys to see what you're doing. Oh wait. Okay these people may be decent. I'm going to go help. So like it actually no dialogue kind of helped in a way because somebody's sulking. I don't don't know,
1: but we still, yeah, I I get you. It it was still just a little convenient. It's the whole typical trope of, Hey, let's make this, let's move on. And we don't need to worry about explaining how we're moving on. Just, just do it. Just get going. Just move. (laughs) We need this person to be here. So boom, he magically appears there. Gotcha. Okay, Chris, I've got to ask you about this. Okay. And I assume you have an opinion on this. Um, my again,
2: strongest opinion is probably the speed force toilet bowl, but go okay. ahead and ask me. Yeah.
1: Um, and this is not spoilery because I mean, he's all over the trailers, right? So we got to talk about Michael Keaton in this film. Oh, as, I have an opinion as Batman.
2: Oh, I have an opinion.
1: I have two opinions. Um, I will go ahead and go on record right now. Now this is my flag I'm staking in the ground. I did not recognize who this Bruce Wayne was in the first five minutes we meet him. The now, the I'm a, just gonna say the a spoiler.
2: I don't know. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm not gonna go into details, okay. but I'll just say kind of when we're touring his house before we meet him, and then we actually see him, in that time I'm like, I don't know who this character is supposed to be. Okay. This is not this is not the Tim Burton, Bruce Wayne, even if aged 40 years later, I don't care. This is not him, or 30 years later. This is not him. So I was very upset for mm. a few minutes there because that was not this character. That is not him. Now he changes. And I do feel like for the rest of the film, yes, it's him. I got it. No, you're the opposite.
2: Oh, I will say Michael Ooh. Keaton was MVP on this. And he is the best thing about this movie. Without him, I feel like this movie would fall flat on its face. Okay, no, I'm with you on now the second I have, half of the I movie. have a lot of sentimentality for the original. Yeah, Batman, I know you do. Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. Tim Burton, like it's one of the first movies I can think of that I saw in the theater, like I don't even know how many times I went and saw, one time I saw it back to back, like my friends mm-hmm. and I walked out and went right back and saw it again. um Star wars, yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times, but I didn't have the advantage to do that in the theater, whereas Batman, I totally did um, so granted, there's a lot of nostalgia there, but the way his character was used like not recognizing him, I just, I thought was genius and a lot of amazing stuff. Um, and without spoiling anything, I can't get into, I can't get into the, some of the hows and whys, but I thought it was, I thought it was genius. And I think without his character and I'll say without Michael Keaton mm-hmm. being Batman, I think this film would have been a much lesser. Film. Okay.
1: Look, I think we're kind of on the same page on part of it. Okay. I do believe there's a moment. I feel like there's two phases of where we are meeting this version of Bruce Wayne. um there's the the opening minutes of the kitchen version. Can I say that? Sure, okay, that's the part I didn't get.
2: Oh man,
1: no, no 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 no. all right, well, let me just the uh, <laughs> I, how to how to do this when you're going through the house and you're seeing. Paintings like really bad paintings, you're seeing <laughs> trash and just junk, and it's just I, I did not recognize this. I'm sorry, but even the okay, even the we'll, Michael we'll Keaton ju- Bruce We'll dress fame, this in spoiler. I know we're gonna have we'll to. We'll dress this in spoiler. But I think once the suit comes on okay. For the rest of the film, he's awesome.
2: Okay, we'll okay? dress we'll address it in spoiler. Okay,
1: remind me. I'm just saying that first few minutes, I'm like I'm I'm kind of actually getting mad for a couple minutes. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then it's like, then finally it's like, oh, no, no, no. Okay, now he's the character I recognize again. Now, I'm not saying characters can't evolve and grow and change over time. I get that. And I expect there to be some difference with this character because we haven't seen him since you know 92 93 as far as you know i don't know what that translates to in the this this universe time but sure obviously he's much much older sure but i still did not recognize him in those first few minutes wow. i don't think there was any vestige of the bruce wayne we were meant to know but i saw him once once he got back into his groove and that's fine it's just it did make me mad for a few minutes oh, man. okay i'm almost done with my bads okay. um the last thing I'll say, um, and then we aren't going to spoil this either. There are uh, some kind of much ballyhooed, uh, cameos made late in the film, which Alan, had you had any of
2: them spoiled for you? No. Okay. Apparently the director, Mr. Machete spoiled one of them. Mm. And I can't imagine, um, mm. I can't imagine having that spoiled for me. Granted, I guess for everyone, Michael
1: Keaton spoiled
2: was done by the trailer. Oh yeah. That was done um, by everything. It's which, on the movie poster. Can you, yeah. can you imagine if you walked into this film and didn't know he was going to be in Look, this film? I
1: think this movie would have been so much better oh, my without the trailers. Oh yeah. Like, without I, trailer or poster or anything.
2: Know, mine would have just been, or the poster just being the like, no, just give me the, flash.
1: F- just give me the flash logo or picture of the right. flash. And it's like, if you had thrown Michael Keaton and the 89 Batman on me as a surprise, like in the movie I did not know about, at places would have erupted. <laughs> oh. It would have been amazing. Well,
2: the, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: No, I agree. I agree with you completely. Those ending cameos, um, again, uh, CGI is at use. Sure. It does no good. <laughs> um, right. And I think it's interesting choices on you, what cameos they used and why and although although the cameos themselves didn't really work for me as a whole, there was one that was awesome.
2: Okay, was it a sentimental one, or was it a...
1: It was a theoretical one. Oh, okay. Yes, and it was awesome. And
2: and that's the one that apparently was spoiled like a month or so by the director. Oh, see, no, that's that's a shame. The theoretical
1: one, No, no, I had no idea. I think we can answer all that without spoilers. My son did not understand it, which is awesome, because I'm just like, I'm... I'm spazzing out when it happened and I had to explain it to him on the way home. And that was great. Gotcha. So I will say overall, those ending cameos didn't really work for me. I don't think just because it's all happening in the, the, S- the toilet bowl, speed force, the speed box. force, toilet bowl. <laughs> right. Um, that was the problem too, is that the whole final ending sequence is all taking place in that very, very ugly, bad rendered CGI world. It just kind of loses a lot of the weight of the moment in general. You could have handled that, what I thought was actually a pretty good ending story line, a finale to the story with these, I'm going to say three characters that are kind of there in the, the toilet bowl together. (laughs) Yeah. Man, that sequence could have been so much more powerful if it wasn't being staged in this really horrible green screen world. Uh, You could have done that somewhere else and it would have been so much more impactful. If they'd
2: had a confrontation in the timeline instead yeah. of outside the timeline exactly. somehow. I, yep. I agree. they would staged that just on a street somewhere yeah. or something. yeah. And yeah, then yeah. when
1: those cameos started kind of popping in, kind of playing a role in the end, it, it had lost a lot of the the emotion, I think, because you're just already so bombarded by this ugly CG world and environment. <laughs> and it just, it just was bad. It made things you saw that were computer animated related just scream out so much more than they would have otherwise. So that's where I think there was just a lot of directorial and visual choices that were made that were really, that really hurt the film in my opinion. Okay. But ultimately the story was still good. So that's all the bad I've got. Okay. I think that covers it. So did you have anything bad to add that I didn't cover?
2: No, I think overall it sounds like I appreciated the film more than you or I like the film more than you, you. like think the you film as a whole it. more than yeah. I
1: did I, I still stand by I really like the story okay. I like the story that was being told I like the the story beats and the decisions in the story itself I just did not like how they chose to execute that story visually on screen and with some of the choices they made there so okay. that's my issue um Okay, well then let's, let's hit, let's follow up on some more good stuff. Cause I do have a lot of good stuff too. Okay.
2: I'll, honestly, the only the, like, overarching thing for me is just Michael Keaton MVP. That's like the main point of my notes. Mm-hmm. So let me hear your good points. Cause I, you know, just, well,
1: I'll comment on that too. I, I'll just say kind of tying off yours. Yes. I think anytime after, after the uh, Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne actually got on board with the film, got on board with the story, gets in the suit, gets in the suit basically everything else after that's golden. I think it's great. I think the fight scenes, uh, you know, the fight scenes throughout this film are kind of a little hap- they're hit or miss, but his, there's a scene in like a Russian prison where he breaks in mm-hmm. and he has a nice, a nice kind of extended fight sequence. I'm like, yes, this is good. This is really, really good. It's because it seemed more practical. It seemed more like what the 89 Batman would be doing. And he's using his older kind of a little more practical gadgets and a little more practical weapons. And, you know, it just, it just, it just felt right. And even him and his jet, which, you know, is in the, is in the film all just kind of worked because it just felt real. It felt lived in. It felt like his character. And um, I liked I, all of that. I
2: will say I was a, a little part of me was sad, but there again, I guess you can't do, you can't, you can't do every fan service thing. Cause in the movie it would be six hours long. Talking about him with his jet, which is a slightly, seemingly a little bit more modified version yeah, of what updated you know, version. Yeah, but still, it kept the same shape. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to go in front of the moon.
1: I thought it was going to. When I, they did left the cave. I did too. I did When they left and did this big swooping thing, I'm like, up! Oh, they're going up to they're the moon. They're going to go up to the moon and go hang up at the moon for a second, but they didn't. And
2: they so. did. And it's fine, but I was like, ah, oh, little nice. fanboy in me yeah. kind of was sad.
1: But. Um, so yes, I'm with you on that. Batman eighty nine is what I'm referring to him as. Uh was great. Yeah. It was really, really good. <laughs> sure. Um, I gotta talk about Ezra Miller. Look, he had it they had an interesting role to play in that it's a <laughs> playing someone that is meant to be annoying right. from a character standpoint. Sure. And then having to play two of them in the same film. Right. Um, I thought I thought they did really well. I thought I, I thought it was a good dual performance. Even the fact that I, I do credit, whether it's the story or the screenplay for this, giving them a moment of realization of saying, oh, it, when they're interacting with one another, it's like, oh, wow, I am really annoying. I understand why I'm annoying people. And this is the, I'm like, huh, that was actually, that may have been played for a laugh, but I'm like, no, I think that's actually a pretty good scene. It's like sometimes when you're faced with yourself, you know, and you see how you, are coming across to others and you realize why maybe you have a hard time connecting with people. Maybe you have a hard time making friends, whatever it may be. It's like, ah, I kind of get it. I see what I'm doing here. So I thought that was an interesting little, little moment. And I thought it was played really well by, by Ezra Miller. Um, And I thought the visual effects, I'm going to say positive on the visual effects of the two of them together. Oh yeah. Was seamless. I mean, really, I honestly was like amazed how they were able to have the two of them, playing off each other and look so good on screen. I'm like, yeah, I bought every bit of that. I did never once thought how to, okay. Yeah. Obviously that was like some fakery to kind of have them blended on the scene together. So I think well, yeah, really I good.
2: think that's just a, that okay. So I'm glad you called that out as something good. CGI. Oh yeah.
1: That, that, that was good. That was very, very good visual effects. Cause
2: there was so. never a time for me, at least in the film where I was like, yeah, if you didn't know anything about any of the actors in this film, you could assume Ezra Miller had a twin in the film with him, like because it was that well mm-hmm. done. Like Social yeah. Network with the wink of all, it's like you know you could sometimes, but like yeah, you could you couldn't see the strings of the puppet going on. You no, couldn't see the green bit. screen lot, like mm. it looked pretty. Yeah, okay, so good. You there was no, some, that, that an was element good. that was really good. <laughs> they no, spent all, yeah. all their time doing that as opposed to I was going to say obviously
1: <laughs> a lot of time went into that and not the rest of the film. So. Sure, um, I will say. From an ending standpoint, I mean, I thought the final big battle, there's a big battle scene that takes place and it's all, you know, CGI rendered and it's all in a big boring desert land or whatever, the most generic place you could think of to have a big battle. Um, given all of that, I still thought the ending battle was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it even more. There was a sequence um, and because they, this is one of the needle drops, I really did appreciate they used the raconteurs uh, for a song Yes, where the two flashes kind of get into sync and kind of figure out how they're going to work together and do some damage. And I'm like, okay, that was a fun sequence. Yes. It's all CGI. It was all done on a computer, but it was still fun. Uh, the use of the music, the use of the, the, the energy between the two of them, their interplay. Yeah, that, that all worked for me. Um, and, you know, the film did have some nice emotional beats. I thought, the you know, there was a final sequence we have. I'll just say in a grocery store that it worked. It got me. It was it was impactful. You know, ultimately, that's the whole the Flash's origin story, or I guess his background story to me has always been one of the more interesting ones for a superhero, classic superhero. You know, I mean, OK, look, you got Batman, his parents were shot, and he's now resentful about it and upset. Yes, that's a kind of a classic trope flash is a little deeper than that. Yeah. His mom died, but his father got implicated for the murder. And so now he's spending his time trying to make sure that people like his father don't get, you know, uh, um, uh, accused of crimes they didn't commit. I mean, that's to me a very, very interesting background. Yeah.
2: Okay. Nitpick from somebody who was aware, even though I'm not a huge DC flash, but I was surprised that the murderer aspect was not addressed.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know if it, I mean, I think it does get addressed in like you know the greater comic lore and all that. I honestly don't know what the answer is. But, yeah it was a little surprising that there was no like but I also think that's that's okay i mean it's it's yeah it you didn't, know it's yeah, um, they that, weren't interested that, in that, that story. things happen yeah, they're not interested in the story of revenge, they're not right. interested in the story of all that it's it's about trying to um it's you know Barry still holds himself accountable for what happened because right. again, his belief, if he didn't make this one decision when he was a kid, then, you know, maybe this would have happened instead. Um, this is all about trying to rectify those faults, not necessarily trying to get revenge on who caused the most harm to you. Right. Um, but overall there's a scene, you know, final scene in the grocery store. I thought was very good and, and kind of hit the right notes. And, um, uh, so yeah, overall I'm I'm happy with how the film kind of ended. Uh, outside of some of those the multiverse and cameos and some other weird you know things that I, I thought were just sloppy, but the human side of the ending worked really well. Gotcha. So, okay. All right. So I'm good. What else do you got to add? Anything <clears throat> on the good side of things you want to add to this? Um no.
2: Um I will say no. I, I think you've you've covered, I think you know, we've covered a lot. Um, I will say that at the very, not the end credits thing, which I didn't see, <laughs> but um, I thought they had an opportunity at the very end of the film where they have a cameo. And I think you feel it coming, but I was surprised that it wasn't a different cameo. And I'll leave that. When we get into spoiler territory, we can jump on that. But I was surprised that they, I think to make, would I assume? Who knows what James Gunn and all the people have planned for the DCU? But I was surprised they didn't have a different cameo to kind of close the loop and encapsulate things a little more. And I'll just leave
1: it at that. Yeah. So I have an opinion on all of that as well. But we, <laughs> okay. we can get to that a little bit. All right. Why don't we do this, Chris? Uh, why don't we take a quick break? Okay. come back with movie news and then let's do our spoiler stuff at the end of the show. Gotcha. I think that'd probably be a little safer for everybody. So nobody's having to worry about skipping ahead. So at the end of this episode, we will talk a little spoiler talk about the flash. So if you get to the end, that's where we'll jump into it a little bit, but until then let's take a quick break. We come back, we've got some movie news to share about some uh, other projects going on and then we'll do our flash spoiler stuff at the end. So stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation.
2: To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: All right, welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Um, We had our review of The Flash, which, you know what, I mean... Looking at that, I think we both, I'm generally positive on it. You are more positive on it. I have a lot of issues with it. I think those are issues that could have derailed the film's enjoyment for me. But ultimately, I did ultimately enjoy the film. But I enjoyed it for the story, even though I had issues with a lot of the execution of the film. And you liked the film because uh, Michael Keaton's Batman was in it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fair to say.
1: Okay, good deal. Well, let's move on to some movie news, and then we'll do our spoilers for The Flash at the end of the episode. So, Chris, uh, I want to kind of cleanse the palate a little bit for a few minutes of superhero talk in uh, corporate franchises, just a bit. Okay. And uh, let's go in the opposite direction. So, next week, at at the time of this recording, next week, we're uh, supposed to have the nationwide release of Asteroid City, which is the new uh, Wes Anderson film. And I know we'll be reviewing that whenever it shows up here. Hopefully, it will be next weekend when you're expecting to see it. Uh, but we'd also heard that there was a second film that he was working on or something kind of releasing around the same time going out. Maybe it'll be going to Netflix. It'd be a different thing. So I got a little more detail on that. And I think it's going to be something that makes you happy because I know your adversity to films that overstay their welcome on length. <laughs> yes. So Wes Anderson's next film is an adaptation of Royal Dahl's short story that I think we've mentioned before. So the short story, the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Turns out this is going to be a short film, 40 hey. minutes, 40 minutes long. Okay. Yep. And there was some talk about that. Why, why was that? It's like, and I think Wes Anderson saying he couldn't really figure out, this is according to IndieWire. And he said, I couldn't really figure out the approach. I knew what I liked in this story that I was writing in Dahl's words couldn't find the answer. and Then suddenly I did, I realized it's not a feature film. It's like 37 minutes or so. So in other words, it's one of those things where realizing, which I think sometimes it's nice if filmmakers realize this, you don't need to take a short story and adapt it into a two hour epic motion picture. If you can get the story across in 37 minutes, do that. And
2: prior to this, maybe directors were they didn't want to admit that because there was no strong distribution model. Yeah. You're not going to get people going to the like, movie
1: theater for a 37 minute yeah, movie. short films. Nobody's mm. going to pay $12 yeah. to see,
2: but Netflix, Netflix. or Hulu or yep. Disney, they'll pay yeah. X amount mm-hmm. for it. Okay. All right. Makes yep. sense.
1: So that's why it ended up on Netflix. He said, you know, even Wes Anderson said, well, it's kind of a weird thing, but in the year between the story, being set aside and then Anderson picking up the camera. Netflix bought the rights to the whole doll catalog. Oh, wow. For $686 million. So basically Netflix owns all the road doll work for adaptations going forward. Wow. So, um, so that just worked out really good. Um, Hmm. let's see. There's something about, hold on. What is this?
2: Does that mean he owns the rights for like Charlie and the Chocolate or just the remakes? So they I have exclusive I don't know. Rights to like don't know, old don't know I don't have any
1: more specifics on this. I don't know if that's the full library or mm-hmm. if there's some exceptions for some of the ones that already been made movies on. But interesting. Um, but the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, the 37 minute Netflix Wes Anderson film is going to uh, star Benedict Cumberbatch. Ray Fiennes, Dev Patel and Ben Kingsley. So, cool. So it's good. Um,
2: is it released this year or next year? Is it a 2024? twenty twenty five?
1: I do not see. Okay. Oh, uh, no word, no word on when the movie is released. Okay. Um, I would be surprised if it wasn't end of the year. Hmm. Possibly. Okay. Um, 'Cause I know he supposedly was working on both simultaneously at one point or really. had, uh, that's what I had heard somewhere. Okay. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting to know that, you know, shorter movies with a online distribution channels that we have now, maybe uh maybe they'll be a little bit more of a trend to see filmmakers saying, Hey, you know what, this is more of a thirty minute movie or it's more of an hour long movie instead of having to be two hours and uh not feeling limited in in, in doing that. So Oh, huh. interesting. All right. Um, all right, next little story, another uh, kind of auteur that we've talked about in the past, uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Um, last film he did was Pinocchio, which is an all animated version of which Pinocchio. Won
2: the Oscar, didn't
1: it? I think it won for best, uh, best Animated Feature, right? Yeah, I
2: think so.
1: So on that, he is saying right now that, uh, yeah, Best Director Trophy at the Academy Awards for... Um, Shape of Water. Shape of Water. He won Best Animated Picture Oscar for Pinocchio. Uh, He basically says that uh, he really just wants to do animation going on. Really? He says he's got maybe a couple more live action movies that he wants to do, but not many. After that, he only wants to do animation and that's his plan. Now, Chris, this brings up a little bit of a bigger question to me. We reviewed across the spider verse last week, which we both really liked. Yeah. Um, We have seen, I feel like animation, Take some real good leaps and bounds over the last 10 years. I mean, you, know, you had Pixar that kind of accelerated it to some degree. Sure. But even their stuff is kind of now being, I think, surpassed by some even more innovative animation styles. And I mean, Del Toro's Pinocchio was a very creative, uh, artistic animation style. Um, across the Spider Verse, I think Disney, outside of Pixar, has kind of stepped up a little bit, some of it, an animation game. I wonder a question like that. You know, if I look at the movie The Flash that we reviewed earlier. Mm -hmm. and as many issues as I had with the CGI and all that in the action sequences where I felt like I'm just watching kind of a cartoon the whole time, you know, are we getting to a point? And if big directors are saying, no, you know what? I'm going to go into animation as well. Imagine if the flash had been an animated movie. Okay. You know, could it have worked? Could it have been uh, as impactful or been as, as well received, um, I hate to say it probably wouldn't do as well box office wise, but that's just the nature of it. You wouldn't really get the Michael Keaton Batman 89 effect quite to the same level and all
2: the other cameos. Yeah.
1: Wouldn't work as well, but I feel like it would have benefited for me anyway. A lot of the action sequences, it definitely would have benefited I mean, the, the toilet bowl, which have been much, much more <laughs> impactful. Sure. So I just, I wonder if, I wonder if we're starting to see a little bit of shift of people like looking at spider verse movies and saying, huh, you know What? there's actually a great market and a chance for artistic expression in animation that maybe they haven't felt they've had before. So,
2: well, that's interesting because I think there's always going to be room for flesh and blood actors on screen because some stories just, you know, dramatic stories lend themselves more to that. Now it depends on the type of stories you're interested in telling, which Guillermo de Toro has always told with things like Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak these very stylized things that have some crazy visuals shape of water too. So I can see how for, I think it'll be a loss. I'm saddened to hear that he only wants to do animation as opposed. I mean, I'm sure he said he has some live action, but um, because he's so adept at both. So I'd hate to see him just lose him to completely to animation. I like animation stuff, but um, I can see how like with the kind of stories he wants to tell, he's like, Yeah, I'll just go the animation way because he can make things look, because when you have complete control, you can make things look exactly like you want them to, you know, with animation, whereas live action, they're just some things, you know, yeah, you just can't do. So I see that. Um, But I, I, yeah, and I, would the flash have worked better? I don't, I don't know. Um, Something that I was curious, a movie that came out a while ago, UCG did not do well, Um, but was live action was the dark tower, Stephen King's, the dark tower. Mm -hmm. And it had Idris Elba and Michael McConaughey. Um, I think because of the fantastical nature of that, I always thought that should be like an adult swim type adult Mm -hmm. uh, car animation, because I think it would work a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I think supposedly there is another version of dark tower coming out eventually, Mm. but um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know.
1: Well, he went on to say some. I thought some interesting things about the state of animation today, which he he mentioned something about Pixar films, which I thought was actually kind of on the money. Uh, okay. He says that with with these movies, he he describes them as emoji style animation. <sighs> he says where everybody is quote happy and sassy and quick, and I'm like, yeah. I totally get that. And I feel like a little bit that spills over into the superhero movies too. It's a little bit of a, it's fast, fast energy, fast, fast dialogue. It's everybody's funny. Everybody's quick and snappy and sassy with one another. Hmm. It's definitely Pixar. I could see that has evolved into style. And yes, where people's faces are much more, it's, it's, it's like looking at a bunch of emojis, giving expressions. I, I totally get his point on that. Interesting. He's saying, you know, look, I want to see real life in animation. I think it's urgent. I think it's urgent to see real life in animation. And I'm kind of with him on that. And that's where I think something like Spider Verse does a lot better because I think there's more than enough times and moments where we're seeing characters that felt real and had real dialogue and real emotions on display. So I, I get what he's saying with that. I think it's maybe an, a little bit of an overgeneralization to say all Pixar films are that way, because I think Pixar's done a great job with the animation form over the years. Um, but yeah, and then uh, you know we've you, got this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Have you seen the trailer for that? Uh,
2: yes. The animation
1: style is very yeah. Um, it's it's like what Puss in Boots did with uh, parts of its. Uh, animation style, the latest push and boots movie that got a lot of acclaim for kind of incorporating a more so you're saying, manga kind of uh more sketch based uh, style than, or flat style than So you're saying I'm going to have to end up watching
2: that movie.
1: I'm just saying there's a lot of people excited about that movie <laughs> because are. of the way it looks and right. saying that that even my son is like, who's never shown any interest in the, the turtles movies before. And has, I don't know if he's ever seen it. He's like, no, I want to see that movie because the animation looks amazing. Like, all right. Okay. So we, we could be onto to something here. I wouldn't be surprised if over the next 10 years, we kind of saw some animation evolve, incorporating more Spider-Verse and some of these other more just unique animation styles and more unique storytelling approaches to it. So uh, hmm. I'm excited for it. Could be fun to see. Okay, last uh, story I've got, Chris, and this is just going to dovetail us right back into big blockbuster movie franchise superhero okay. movie world. But, um, you know, Disney, when Disney makes changes to their schedule of when movies are going to come out, it's amazing the ripple effect it has on so many different franchises. And you start to realize just how much stuff Disney owns right now. Oh, a lot. Um, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, right now we've got, um, they had some big announcements about updates on their films that they're going to be releasing over the next several years. Okay. Uh, most notably on this is that Avatar, which is a Disney property. Okay. Right. Um, there are supposed to be five Avatar total. movies total.
2: So we've gone through two of them. We've we gone through two. more.
1: So that... By my count, that means we have three left. <laughs> right. Um, Avatar three uh, is now being moved to December 2025, so that will still now be two and a half years away from the time of this recording right here. Okay. But that's going to mean that Avatar four and five will now be released in December 2029. Gee. Whiz. In December 2031. Oh my. So gosh. we're talking now eight years in the future. Chris, I'm doing the math in my head. I but know how old already, I'll be. They're already
2: done, right? Or oh, no?
1: Oh, I don't think they're done. No, because uh, I can't. thought
2: that was one of the reasons he was kind of trying to shoot. I'm sure the same stuff time. is being
1: done in batches, but I mean they can't be eight years off and not it, it, if it, they can't have all the the filming done and still be eight years off. I can't imagine. Hmm. I don't know. Um. Anyway, Avatar four and five, December twenty twenty nine, twenty and thirty. So. Uh, I'm just doing the math in my head. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I know how old I will be at that time. Oh my gosh. And it's kind of depressing to think that that's how <laughs> far out these films are going. Um, oh. By the same token, the Avengers movies that are going to be the two big Marvel movies. The first one, it will not be coming out till 2026. Hmm. The second one in May, 2027. So they're going to be one year apart from each other. Kind of like it was with Infinity War and Endgame. Same kind of those idea. Were, were those a whole year? I can't remember if it was a full year or within a year of each other but it was in that same time frame now I think there may be a little bit of a reasoning for that delay um, pushing some of these movies back a little bit Is that if a casting you issue? mm-hmm because I think there's still some questions right now about uh, what role if any that uh um, Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors is gonna play as King in that film because that's the big bad guy that they've kind of based everything off of. There's still a lot of questions about allegations with him and concerns about his uh, personal life. And so that may be causing them to kind of punt a little bit and give them some more time sure. to work that out. So we got Avenger stuff going on. The only movie that got moved up earlier is Deadpool 3. Again, that is now a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> which is weird. Which is weird. Uh, it's going to come out in May 2024 instead of November like it was going to be. So that's next year, about a, about a year from now hmm. we've got. Now, Chris, did you know the Alien franchise? Yes. It's technically owned by Disney because they bought Fox.
2: Right. I knew it was owned by Fox originally. I hadn't thought about that, but that is weird.
1: Did you know actually. that there's a new Alien movie coming? No. Um, it's still untitled and it's directed by uh, Feta Alvarez. I have no idea who that but is. But Alvarez uh, did the reboots of the Evil Dead movies oh. uh, recently, which I've not seen either of those. Well, he did at least the first one. I don't know if he did the second one. Well, a um, little part
2: of me inside has died because I'd rather Ridley Scott do it, even though I, I loved as everyone knows who's ever listened to any episode of this podcast. I love Prometheus. Um, it is probably my favorite Alien film. However, the follow-up Alien, Alien Covenant, not as big a fan, but um. I think he has such interesting ideas about the franchise and supposedly it was going to be a trilogy. It was going to be Prometheus covenant and then there was going to be another film. And now it sounds like maybe he'll never make that film. He's busy making other stuff. So that's good, I guess.
1: Well, Um, okay. So even though the article I was reading said that the title was, um, untitled alien movie, I am seeing on Federer's IMDB page that in production is a movie called alien colon Romulus. Okay. And he is listed as the writer and director of the film. Mm. Uh, the cast, I, the cast has assigned to it so far that I don't think F- they have the big names. Don't Fass- recognize anybody. So Fassbender not there. Not yet. Nothing's in here. So whether this is some sort of spinoff, whether this is some sort of, I don't know. I don't know if they're continuing the Prometheus storyline mm. or not, but, um, Alvarez has done, uh, he directed the film. Don't breathe. Oh, yeah, He okay, directed so The I Evil Dead. That. I haven't seen those. He uh, directed The Girl in the Spider's Web, the American version of that Okay. Um, that came out that fortunately sh- didn't get a lot of attention.
2: Yeah, Daniel Craig was it. At- that I'm was not- the Claire
1: Foy version. Yeah, I'm that. not sure
2: if I saw that or not. Yeah. Okay.
1: So anyway, um, yeah, uh, looks like from his standpoint, Alien Romulus is going to be the next Alien movie. At least that's the working title right now that we can see. So that's going to be coming out August 2024. So a little over a year from now. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so there's some, some shakeups, some things happening on that end, but it's just, it's just always amazing to me when I see like Disney releases a schedule change and you see all the films and properties they own. They're like, wow, that's, they do own quite a lot of our uh, <laughs> movie going experiences these days. And a
2: lot of IP for sure.
1: That's a lot. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. All right, so that's the movie news I had to share with us today. So, Chris, it sounds like I, I think what well, let's do, let's kind of do our official little wrap up of the show. Sure. Then we're going to lead right into spoilers. So, if you're not interested in being spoiled on anything in The Flash, you want to go see it for yourself, um, we recommend you go do that. If you don't want to be spoiled, one thing I'll recommend is please don't go to the IMDb page for The Flash because unfortunately it does everything in its power to spoil everything in the film for you by looking at the cast list. So don't do that. Um, but otherwise, Chris, if people did have questions or feedback for us on either our flash review or any of the news items, or just uh, recommendations of films that they think we ought to check out, how can they reach out to us?
2: You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. film. Alan and I are also on letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and leave short reviews. Do us a favor. Give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends, whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. And we actually, we've made it through this entire episode and I don't think we've really mentioned it. The 2023 foot candle film festival is coming this year, September 15th through the 24th. So if you're in Western North Carolina, we will be holding it in Hickory, North Carolina, and we'd love for you to come check it out. All
1: right. Yep. We're looking forward to it. It should be a great festival and uh, going to have a lot of fun with it that week. we will be hearing, You'll be hearing a lot more about it if you listen to the show over the next couple months, but um, we will be back next week with another episode, another review and some more discussions about movies and films. So until then uh, take care. We will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line and hang tight for the spoilers. We're going to do spoilers now in five, four, three, two. So I think we've, uh, giving people enough time to skip out my defense of the
2: Bruce Wayne Manor. The hobo
1: Bruce Wayne. Okay,
2: I freaking loved it. Mm. If for no other reason, because in my mind, that was not Bruce Wayne. That was obviously it's not Michael Caine because he is way too old to be jumping around, but it's somebody wearing a Michael Caine, like wig jumping around and defending Bruce Wayne. who's off brooding somewhere. Never crossed my mind. That that was Bruce Wayne. So therefore, my interdu- my shock to realize because Michael Caine was no, he wasn't the original Butler. Mm. He was Jason, um, not Jason Bateman. <laughs> um, he was Michael Caine began, was yeah, was
1: Yeah, was uh, uh, Bale Christian Bale. Bales. Christian Bale, thank you. Yeah.
2: Um, he was Christian Bale's. So actually, that still would have worked um, because I think the original actor who played um Alfred for Michael Keaton has passed away. Michael Go- yeah, Michael Goog. G O U G. how you mm. say. It? So I think he has passed away. But I think so in my mind when I was watching at the time I forgot that Kane wasn't Keaton's Alfred and I thought that would have been really funny um having him just like he looked like in Children of Men or how he was in um some other movie where he was like Michael Kane with long hair being like and like which Alfred historically well in some of the Lord for DC he has been like this former secret secret agent who is capable of all this like karate and all this like fighting technique mm-hmm. so that would work and then when it's like Michael Keaton and it's just like no it's this guy who's totally given up he's no longer a superhero I thought that was amazing totally worked for me and if anything it could set up something down the road In well I know I guess it couldn't but, but uh it could have been like a jumping off point. It still, could be a jumping off point if DC wanted to do it for a um, Batman Beyond thing, where Michael Keaton plays the old grizzled guy just sitting in a back cave.
1: Look, old grizzled is one thing, so I, I don't mind old grizzled. I loved it. Okay, loved it. But I mean, he's it's they're showing that he's like doing some horrible paintings up upstairs. Uh, his place is like a wreck, and like because Alfred's tra- dead. Well, but I, but so I never, I, I his n- house cleaner's dead. No, but I never would have believed ever that the the Bruce Wayne version that Michael Keaton played would be that character, no oh. matter what, And even without Alfred. Okay, I'm not saying his life would be completely <laughs> put together, but it was. He was unrecognizable to me oh. until he got down into the Batcave. And he kind of put on the Batman person. And then I'm like, okay, even when he's out of the costume after that point, I'm still on board. I'm like, no, no, this is him. We got him. We're good. I just, I do not understand the decision to have him be this. I thought it was good. Homeless looking, uh, uh, you know, just trash infested Wayne Manor painting, really, really weird painting stuff upstairs. I I I I didn't get it. I did not get it at all. Loved it. But no, Keaton's good. But that was a that was a choice they made about Keaton to play that part that way. Uh, I just liked it once he got once he got into the groove of the of, of his role. He was really good after that point. Um, what else are we spoiling? So the cameos at the end. So you want to talk about the cameos in the toilet bowl? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And let's do talk, that, and then we'll talk about the ones at the very very end that I mentioned. I thought I yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the toilet bowl cameos. These are happening in this virtual. <laughs> We're, copy, we're copywriting that, by the yeah, way. Speed Force Toilet Bowl. Speed Force Toilet Bowl. <laughs> um, as uh, the worlds are colliding, basically, we're kind of being told that because of these actions, Barry's actions, that now these kind of multiple verse multiverses are kind of starting to kind of implode on each other. We see visually all these different spheres or globes. Of other universes kind of coming together, and we start to get the impression that each of them are from a different version of some DC characters from the past.
2: A different spaghetti noodle.
1: Yep. So we've got one version that is the old Christopher Reeve Superman, along with the Superwoman, played by Helen Slater, version of those characters. Now, both of them are CGI versions of the characters, very obviously. Understood with Squish for Reeve. Obviously, he's not here to do any filming with it. Sure, um, they still just look like it was just wax figures. I mean, they just look so bad. And
2: it didn't you didn't think it was the least bit cool?
1: No, no, mm. I didn't. Because um, it's so easy. It's like, oh yeah, well, let's just throw this on the screen and let's just put this person. There's a you see uh, the Adam West Batman in one kind of parting scene. I
2: was I was okay. The Superman one I wasn't surprised. I I liked it because I. There's a little bit of nostalgia, but I liked it. The Batman, Adam West really surprised me. I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. They <laughs> had kind that of courageous in a way. Cause it's like, Oh, we're not just going to bring in the nostalgia reverential. Oh, Christopher Reeve. No, we're going to throw Adam West, you know, like jokingly. So yeah. I, I was surprised about that.
1: Um, and then, and then, um, who else before we get to the, the big one, the big one, um, <laughs> Well, oh, well, we had the old George Reeves uh, Superman. Oh,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Black uh, and white. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, yeah, Uh Did we have any other Batman versions, or was that the only one we saw, Adam West one? I mean, we already got the 89 Keaton version in the movie. And we
2: have right? the Ben Affleck version.
1: Right. So the Christian Bale one is the only one that never shows up or has anything to do Which, with, with
2: this. Which, with all the controver- controversy, I guess fanboy controversy, about... Um, the Superman. What's the name of the actor that has been in the DCU as Superman? And then it was announced. He oh, was Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. I was surprised with all the like nail biting and you know teeth grinding about him not being in. Was it this movie they were upset he wasn't going to be in, or was it some other? I don't know. But it was like they were just. I guess when James Gunn took over, he said like, Yeah, yeah, we're not. They're going super, a different direction. Superman's Superman. different, and people were just like so cranky. I was surprised they didn't include any Henry Cavill. Thing, especially very, because he was already there with General Zod. It just seemed right?
1: weird to me to kind of make the choices that were made. Like, okay, which, which there's so many vast, you know, DC versions of characters, but to already kind of have, they show us three versions of Superman one version of Batman. And that was, that was it. I mean, there wasn't really any other characters and versions, which I thought was just kind of odd. Hmm. Oh, no. We we did see an old Flash. We saw the old uh, helmet, uh, winged right. helmet version of Flash at 1.2. Um, was that from
2: the TV show?
1: See, I couldn't tell. I don't okay. know what that was from. That may have just been something that was put in originally. Put in. So it was just kind of, it seemed a little haphazard. It was like, okay, there's not really any rhyme or reason to this. It's like, you're not telling me you're using all the old DC movie characters. It's like, and you're not using all the old TV characters. I, I don't understand it. It's like, Three versions of one character and only one of Batman I, it just seemed very haphazard. I guess it 's more of a right version a system of who do we have the rights to use, who do we get permission to use, or something i don 't know right um, it was a little It was a little haphazard, I thought now the one I thought that was <laughs> really ingenious and I oh, loved yeah, yeah. is we do get taken to a long haired Superman, um, a little unrecognizable to most people watching the film. Uh, fighting a giant spider creature and you look to see, and it is the Nicholas cage version of Superman, which for those kind of in the, in the lore of, of Superman uh, there was a ill-fated Superman production that Tim Burton was involved with. And it was going to be written by Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith had had a hand in writing the script and produced by John Peters
2: who had who, a thing with spiders who had a thing
1: with spiders, wanted a giant spider to be in the film. And that was this whole thing. Kevin Smith has gone on and done uh, speaking tours all over the place where he tells about his experience working on this film and how it was just kind of a a mess from start to finish. Tim Burton walked away. Nicholas Cage had to walk away. Everything just kind of fell apart. And that left the ground open for, I think what was the next version that was came out. That was the, the Brandon Ralph, uh, Brian Singer Superman Mm -hmm. returns became the next version they did. But, um, yeah, we actually got to see the Nicolas Cage. Now, it was a CGI version of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but of all the CGI stuff, that one, I think, looked the closest to the best. Um, I assume you know Nicolas Cage was on board or at least helped play a part in it to some degree. I'm not sure. Well, to use his,
2: from my understanding, to use his imagery, I would think you've got to do something. You can't yeah. just do that. So. so,
1: you know, to actually include that as one of these universes was was clever and it was fun and it was a nice little moment. That was a moment where I, uh, my my son did not understand the cameo. I was kind of geeking out. So I got to explain it to him on the on the <laughs> way out. Um, it was fun. That was a fun moment. Um, yeah. I just, again, the CGI-ness of it and just the environment that it was all being done and just, it didn't have the impact it could have had. I got just you. the same way I feel about the overall ending with the final two flash, well, actually three versions of flashes. I liked the overall story that was building to that finale where you've got I'm calling flash prime. That's the one we've been following since the first frame of the movie. You have the young flash that he meets along the way when he goes back in time. And then you've got the older version of this flash that's basically evolved from the young one who has spent his entire life trying to fix the multiverse and save his mother and is failing every time. I love that dynamic. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. So, like, this creature we saw at the beginning of the movie is actually an old version have of no the You had no idea Fletcher. that
2: was going to happen. No, I didn't. See, I did because I'd watched the TV show. Well, see, I'd and seen in the, the TV, TV show too. In the TV show, he fights this one guy who looks kind of very similar to this guy. He's yeah. like, has these like icicle things going oh, on. I didn't think and then, that, that was And then be it a ends up being him. And from the very first time I saw him stomping down the side of the toilet, I was like, I bet that's, I bet that's future flash. I, bet yeah, that's totally see, I, I
1: never is. put it together for me. Although I saw the same TV show and I remember that I just thought it was going to be a version of like a reverse flash or something or some anti villain that they were going to like introduce in this movie and give flash an actual arch enemy villain. Well, the way, the, I realized, Oh, and from the, t- oh, and from is, the you know, TV
2: show, that's also who killed his mom was like an alternate version of flash who kills his mom and creates this whole thing because without that he would have never
1: like, that's true. So
2: that's, that's the thing, which granted, maybe they just took that out of the script, but uh, for people, but I guess you're right. Like bad things happen. And so in this universe or whatever, no Flash's mom was just killed by somebody who intruded into the house. Random
1: thing. And, uh, but I like the whole, the trilogy of those characters. Again, I just hated the way it was being shown and the environment it was in and, Gotcha. I just took a lot of emotion out of it. So sure. Um, but then we get to the end of the film and an interesting cameo.
2: Okay. So we can spoil it cause we're talking. So yeah, yeah. yeah he's coming down the courthouse steps after his dad's His
1: father's now been exonerated right. because I did not pick up on this in the film until I had to read about it later to realize what happened. Oh, I did not understand
2: how he got him that very moved the, the
1: cans up to a higher shelf so therefore his father would have to look up to get them, which means he would look into the closed caption TV or the, uh, the security camera right. and that would exonerate him. Gotcha. Yeah. I did not pick up that little, whatever that motion was or him moving the cans, but totally makes sense. Yeah. That's no, good. I
2: picked thought that thought that was cool. Yeah. And also I thought it was cool that little part because it's like he has gone back. Things have changed. Things have gotten messed up. He didn't save his mom, but somehow he was like, you know what? My dad's alive. So it's, I could just exonerate him. so and I thought that was a cool thing, so it's like he couldn't save his mom, but he can at least change the life for his dad. Well, so I, I think I think there's cool. a little bit too
1: that his mother's death ultimately led to him to be the, become the flash in some way shape or form. He getting involved in the crime right. uh, crime department and that led to him getting his father getting exonerated has no impact on him whether he becomes flash or not. Right, so that was kind of that that decision that had to be made is okay. Well, I can't save my mother because that causes all these bad ripple effects to happen, and I don't get to save the world and all this. Right, but I can at least do this, and it won't have any impact on me and the rest of the world. So that
2: that kind of that was a I thought that was cool. However, the cameo the cameo I'm kind of we're getting to is he's coming down the steps and he gets a phone call and it's like oh you know it's Batman. He's like yeah I'll come to pick you up or whatever. He's like cool. And you see a car drive up and you notice it's not the car that Ben Affleck was driving in the first, it's a different car, still very cool, cool car, but different car. And I was thinking the whole time, it's going to be Robert Pattinson. And that way they kind of loop back in because he was the Batman. So that way they're going to, but no, who did they, who did they opt for? Still valid. They do George Clooney, (laughs) um, which which,
1: from Batman and Robin, right?
2: So, which is. Funny in many levels, because I think that was one of the worst reviewed Batman movies. Uh, George Clooney has gone on record saying that, yeah, that's like, that was a terrible movie. He joked at the time, to, or like, truly, I was like, yeah, I single-handedly ruined the Batman franchise. Of course, Batman's gone on and made several movies. It's been fun. But, and yeah, an interesting note to end on, because Barry's like, really? He's like, or like, you know, they kind of have this moment. He's like, really? You're Batman? He's like, yeah. Like, it you was know, so... I thought it was a funny, very lighthearted moment to end the movie on. That took me a little bit by surprise. Well,
1: Um, I think what they're doing, and I think, uh, I think James Gunn has said that the, um, the DC universe is starting anew and that this flash movie is not part of that new DCU. Okay. So I think they've just kind of felt like, well, we can just, do whatever; it doesn't matter because well, it's all kind of done at this in point. In a film
2: about multiverses and time frames and yeah. strands and time travel, yeah, I guess you can. I can do whatever you they want. They can do
1: whatever and just kind of have fun <laughs> with it. Which, <laughs> right you now, you know, I mean, in theory, though, he did create a whole nother version of the universe, which mm-hmm. that sounds like that would have bad implications and yeah. not what you wanted to do. But anyway, that's kind of how the movie ends. Now, you did not stay for the post credit scene. I did not. <laughs> That's probably fine, because it was stupid. Um, (laughs) It's basically Flash and Aquaman coming out of a bar, and Aquaman's rip worn drunk. And Flash is explaining to Aquaman that he's gone to all these other universes and seen all these other versions, and in every other version of the universe, the version of Aquaman is the same. Mm -hmm. Now, that's important, because what they're basically saying is, okay, there's a new Aquaman movie coming out this winter. Which... With Jason Momoa.
2: Which that had already – that that's another one of these that's kind of been delayed, right? Yeah, was, but they're in...
1: basically saying that that's how Jason Momoa's Aquaman is going to be in the new Aquaman. DCU because Barry's basically telling him, well, yeah, every version of the universes I went to, you were always <laughs> the same. You were always the same character. I'm like, okay, so that's basically them saying, yeah, we can just kind of say, well, this Aquaman is, the, is now our Aquaman in this world and we don't have to recast him or re- – change it up or whatever. Interesting. Because obviously it sounds like they like Jason Momo in that role. They want to keep him in that role. So um
2: is Amber Heard still in the sequel?
1: I don't, okay. I don't know. I think the key was that her role got diminished greatly and that was part of the reason for her lawsuit is that she felt like her role was diminished because of all the uh, stuff with her and Johnny Depp was causing some negative publicity and causing her to get a reduced role in the sequel. Gotcha. So whether or not she's actually finally in the sequel or not, I don't know. Okay. But, um Anyway.
2: Did she, she played Aquaman's sister or love interest? Love interest. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So yeah. So interesting, interesting stuff.
2: Yeah. Final, final thing I'll say, we don't yep. do the closing again, but um, something that was very throwaway and it was probably my favorite, referential thing just because it was so small. Um, 2013 Barry, uh, is like dorking around the back cave.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, yeah.
2: Barry current day. Barry is like typing on the back computer, trying to figure out all this stuff, trying to figure out, I think where wonder woman is trying to get her. Like mm. he's trying to do all this research and stuff. And and 2013 Barry walks up and he has this little bag and it starts doing the laugh thing when he opens, it. he's like, how cool is this? And that's a reference to like the 1989 Batman with like the Joker, and I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, man. What do you like? So it's like a trophy which Batman supposedly has scattered around the Batcave are these little trophies from things. So that tying it to Michael Keaton having defeated the Joker and like all of that, I thought I thought that was and it was very throwaway, very small. Oh yeah, no, I got but it. Yeah, that yeah. was like probably one of my favorites. Well, so. just
1: everything in the Batcave and just the look and style, they, they did a good job of making it feel like the 89 version of Batman, but yet also, you know, it's 30 years later. So there's been some improvements or been some growth, but I mean, it's still, you felt, it felt very lived in. It felt very much of that time. And, yeah. uh, yeah, all the scenes in there, I loved all the, all the scenes with Batman after we the, get past the initial introduction, I thought were great. So, um, it definitely was a, a highlight of the film for me.
2: And um, there again, because I'm sure Andy Machete is listening to this podcast, taking notes on how he can improve his future work, one of which is going to be he's been tapped to do Batman and Robin, the brave and the bold, which you're sighing a little bit. Yeah. Um, but one note that I would give him is I think the referential line "The I am Batman fine, but the you want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. I think that line, if you're going to use it, should have been used when Keaton was going to be doing the Frankenstein stuff with Barry, because yeah, that's a crazy, he's like, yeah. you want to get nuts? Okay, let's get nuts. And like, cause I think that would have, that,
1: that would, have, would have been a bet. The way the other, it was positioned the, here, it was a little showy. Yeah, because it was the a am
2: Batman. Yeah. Fine, that's fine because it yeah. is a show and that work. But the other one I was like, yeah, I feel like that could be better used, but it just it
1: felt goes. like it was kind of forced in just to, yeah, just
2: to do some fan service. Yeah.
1: So yeah, the fan service, I, I I'll, I was worried it was gonna be heavier handed than it was, and it wasn't. It was actually done relatively safely, I thought. So just those couple lines were a little odd placement of those uh Batman lines. But um yeah, overall, no, look I, I had fun with the movie. I had fun <laughs> with it. I did. I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I just man, visually and some choices made were just baffling to me. And I'm still this is a film that supposedly was delayed. Mm-hmm release because of the Ezra Miller situation for a while and COVID and everything. I was like, it's been around for a while. Like they hopped around different directors many times. It's Mm -hmm. like went into production and was in production for a good long time. That's what just makes me baffled. Why the CGI was not better. And you can't tell me with the toilet bowl scene. (laughs) I get it. That it's like, it's a complicated scene. Like you've got these multiple variations of people around And you're seeing, you know, you see all these different people, you see all the different superheroes, you see all the Barry's family, but all of those actors are in this movie. They acted in this movie. They stood in front of a green screen and got filmed for this movie. Why in the world (laughs) they couldn't use real people in those shots and it would have looked so much better. But instead we get these PlayStation 2 looking graphic versions of them that are so obviously fake, so Mm. obviously bad. That whole sequence is just nauseating to watch because it's like, it's like, not like you're creating digital characters from scratch that are not real people. No, these are real people. Like the mother, <laughs> the woman playing Barry's mother right, is in several scenes. Right. We see her acting. <laughs> so what well, you do is you move her over to a green screen and say, okay, now we just need you to do this motion and say this and all, because this is what's going to happen in the toilet bowl scene. And it's like, so easy to do, but why it was not done, I don't understand. But it's just a baffling choice. At least with the babies falling from the sky, I kind of understand. You got to digitally animate those things. You well, can't you want really... because you
2: don't you don't want to look too lifelike because it's it upsetting. would be a little
1: upsetting. Right. I kind of get that decision, but man, that the 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 toilet bowl scenes, I do not understand why you do not use <laughs> real people in those.
2: Yeah, I was baffled.
1: Mm. Okay. We done spoiling? Yes. We good? Okay. We're done with the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community.